0: following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Um, so it's on page 175, it's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Sof, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sion king Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edrai had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expand this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill, country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Abar- Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. God bless the reading of the word.
1: Um, I don't know if you know much about the children of Israel's story, but I want to share with you guys that I believe that One one of the best ways to come back to the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew scripture. So if you come up from a Jewish background, you referred to these Old Testament um, scriptures in your past or in your family line as the Hebrew scriptures. And many of it, most of it is shaped around the story of Israel from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the narrative around that and the ways that they were um, in god's favor out of god's favor in exile and all the different enemies and times of great worship times of idolatry and this, this whole narrative well this narrative takes place before they take the promised land they've come out of the 40-year period where an entire generation that had been disobedient, had been unfaithful, had doubted God, um, was being left in the desert because of of death and old age, and our new generation was rising up to get ready to go in. But just think about this. Most of you in this room are not even 40 years old yet. Okay, so just just, I want you to fathom the time frame. Most of you in this room are barely halfway to 40. Um, Some of us have crossed that threshold. Some of you can't even see that threshold anymore, right? But it's just, it's just, it's part of the life of where we are. But the reality was, is that the children of Israel had been at this mountain or near this mountain had, for a very long time. And you would have grown up if you were an Israelite at this mountain and had potentially heard the promise of God and knew about a promised land and the things that God wanted to move you towards. But during this time, the children of Israel had become settled. It's a very important word. They become settled. They were allowing themselves to enjoy being in a good space but not in the best space. They were a a people that had developed uh, a water source so they knew where they could get fresh water. They were able to irrigate and to have food and other things that they were beginning to do. They were in an environment where they could still trade. If you were to read Israel's story here, they're still trading with other nations. They're doing things that are bringing life and stability to where they are. It's not just a, I'm camped in the wilderness on a really, really bad, long camping trip. like. There is life and activity and growth, and people are having children, and it's, there's, there's, there's they're doing funerals, they're doing weddings, they're doing all these things. It's life. It's all happening around this mountain. They were continuing to do things that were safe and familiar for them. So every day they would wake up, they had routines. It wasn't like every day is like, well, today the day. It's like they wouldn't come out of their tent like we go into the promised land today. They had gotten past looking for the promise of God that was coming, and they had fallen into a rhythm and a routine of just daily activity that was ahead of them. Without even knowing it, I believe that the Hebrew people... Because they had counselors and elders over them that they could go to to settle disputes. And if the elder couldn't settle the dispute, they knew they could ultimately get to Moses and he would finally settle the dispute. They had all these systems in place. And even in the midst of all of it, they didn't realize that they were stuck. They were stuck. They didn't feel stuck. Now, I'm not speaking probably for all of them. I mean, I'm sure there were a few of them, like the Joshua's and his family and the Caleb's and his family that were highly anticipating every day. And they would have been that neighbor next door to everybody else. that had been like, man, why do we have to camp next to Caleb's family? Why do we have to camp next to Josh? They keep talking about the promised land and don't put your stakes in the ground too deep. Right, because we're going to be moving into the Promised Land in like less than a month, right? I mean, no, they weren't, there wasn't there this tone that there, a few of the families were keeping them focused forward. There's a tone that they had just gotten used to life. They weren't in Egypt anymore. They weren't fully in the promises of God, but they were in enough of a safe environment that they were able to just get comfortable and they were just living it and, and enjoying what they had. But what I believe I think is really important for us to understand is that God, however comfortable they were, had a bigger vision, a bigger dream for these Hebrew people. They were very comfortable. I want to come back to this. They were, they were stuck. They were glad to have water and food and trade and family and shelter and all these things and the safety of this mountain. And they still knew God's protection and his power. And at the same time, they were just staying put in what they were doing. If they were going to follow after God's bigger dream, however, it was going to require them to leave familiar. It was going to require them to risk everything. And they were going to have to become dependent upon God. So God spoke up. and listen to the words that were, that were said in here. It's probably the only sentence that made sense to any of you because I, many of you are like, oh my goodness, what is Ellis going to talk about when, he's, when they're listing all these names and places and it's an 11-day walk. Like, What value did that really have you know, to the story for you and I today? Well, I just want you to know I'm not going to talk about it anymore after, other than that. But the point is, is that this is what God said to them. You have stayed long enough at this mountain break camp in advance. Now most of you in here that have been following Jesus for at least a little while and at least at some level have tried to find a prayer voice or at least aware that God speaks to you, probably somewhere in your spirit know that God has said this to you about something. I don't think God has dropped this sentence from his um, words to us where you have felt like God's been urging you to do something, urging you to do something, urging you to do something. A lot of times it's people-related. It could be that God wants you to talk to a neighbor or go invest in somebody or go help, you know, whatever. You just know. And, And I can see by the look on many of your faces, you're like, yep, I know that voice. I know I've had him say this to me. And I believe it's because in our innate human desire, if we're not careful, we, it is to just protect and to hold up and to have safety and to take as much comfort as we can in a very difficult and dark world. And I don't believe that God wants us to not feel safe, to not have blessings and to not be able to enjoy and do life. Like, Look, how many times do we find Jesus in the Gospels sitting at a feast? How many times do we find him cruising on the Sea of Galilee? Let's be honest. Jesus loved to be on the water. I don't think it was just all symbolic. I think there was some life-giving in the flesh of Jesus that loved to sit back on a boat on a sunny day and just have his shirt off because it was all guys. He wasn't you know, doing inappropriate, I'm sure. He was just sunning himself on the boat, enjoying it with his hands in the water, and he was just like, God, when we spoke this into existence, I can see why it's so good right? It wasn't always something that was just about ministry and mission. I really do believe there was life-giving moments for him, but I believe that the children of Israel, like you and I, can get so comfortable that we forget what our real purpose is. The real purpose in our life isn't just to make good camp until Jesus comes back, There is something more for us. The entire life of you and I, according to the ways that Jesus simplified the commands, is that you and I, because of God's love for us and our love for him, becomes a fountain of overflowing love for other people. Our life purpose until Jesus comes back is to be a loving life source towards others. And if you've ever been around somebody like that, you know they're a joy to be around. Relationships that practice God's love with one another are the only thing that you and I can take into eternity. I want you guys to understand this. I don't know what eternity is going to fully be like, but the one thing that I do know is that I'm not going to be in it by myself. That it's going to be packed, and our relationships are going to be good. We've got like nine weddings coming up this year in our church family. And I've been meeting one-on-one with a lot of the couples, and the one thing that, that I, I love when I have a chance to talk to these couples as we're filling up all my weekends this year um, is, is that we, are, we have moments where you can look at somebody in the face and be like, that's sweet. Like, there's just moments what you can have with people. So, like last week, I told you, it's not just about the goal in life to be married. The goal in life is to be a friend according to Christ. And so, you even can have moments where you look into a friend's eyes and be like, that's what eternity is going to be like. Because that was just perfect. It was a perfect encounter. The cup of coffee and the conversation and the love that was shown and the 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 walk and the beautiful day and we get glimpses of eternity in the relationships that we have on an often in our life, especially if you are showing love. Now you're like, I've never had a day that felt perfect. It might be a love broken problem coming out of you towards other people and not the way that people are always trying to love you. You know, and it's like this past week I got an email from somebody that had sat or had listened to the sermon and and immediately went off on, like, yes, pastor, that was what everybody in the church needs to hear because our church is not good at being a friend. And I'm like, okay, so I kept reading and reading and looking at this, and I'm sitting here thinking about this person's journey, and I'm like, the problem is is that some people don't know how to be a friend. And so when others are being friendly or like Christ towards them, they don't know what to do with it. And so we can become in a situation where it's always others and it's not me. And that's why I love the story of the Good Samaritan, because it's framed around the confrontation with somebody that was in legal law in that time period. And that person wanted to know from Jesus, well, who am I responsible to love and Jesus looked at that particular person, told a powerful story that we don't have time to retell today. But the point of the story was, are you ready to love everybody at any moment? Like, the point is, is like it's not, are you going to be the one I give love to? The point is, is, that, is, am I ready to love on a moment's notice? But too often, we're always looking for, well, I don't have to love this person. I don't have to love this person. And we figure out ways of shutting ourselves down or distancing ourselves, or encamping. I want you to know, I believe we have a choice. Some of you are like, I just don't have a choice. Let me just tell you, I I could probably have a long theological argument with you on a lot of things, but I want to tell you this, the majority of us are sitting here today because you chose to come here. You chose to sit in the row that you sat in unless you came late, and then you were mandatory to sit in the front, right? Um, But we, we, we have choice. And so the relationships and the people and the interactions and the, the debt that we're in and all the things that we might experience, a lot of times it does have a lot to do with the choices we make. So as it relates to the nation of Israel, let me come back to them being at the mountain. As it relates to us reflecting on this story, as says, we are responsible to be God's loving agents in the world. And so there's generally three ways that you and I respond to being a loving agent of God. And I generally think about faith moving outwards from us in these three ways. The first is silent. A lot of us are glad that we're forgiven in Jesus Christ. And the only time we talk about Jesus is when the room is perfectly safe. So we'll go here and we'll mention Jesus. We'll even pray with people in this room. We'll go to our growth community or a small group or a Bible study or a campus fellowship and we'll go into those environments. And I'm going to say, you might be talking about Jesus, but it's a safe place. It's a Mount Horeb place where everything is protected, everybody already automatically assumes, and everybody knows God, everybody already loves Jesus, and, and it's just a safe place. And, but I feel like that the, the commission and the love of Jesus isn't just for us to be silent and only talk about it in camp. We need to be careful of that. The second way is people that I'm going to call proclaimers. Now these are the people that don't mind telling everybody about the fall and redemption of the world. These are the people, as it relates to Jesus, that are like, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell. right? That's the proclaimer. They're the ones that are only about you sinning and you and your eternal destination. I'll talk more about this in a minute. And then the other third group is the demonstrators. This is what I refer to as the demonstrators, the people that are only about the creation and restoration. They don't necessarily want to talk with everybody about sin. They want to talk about how the world is broken and creation is broken and it all wants to be restored. And so the silent people are gentle and they're kind and they blend into the fabric of society and people don't know that they believe in Jesus outside of church and many of their friends would be shocked if they actually said that they believed in Jesus. But they're like, they're a good person. Well, maybe since they're good, I guess I could see why they might believe in Jesus. But they don't know from you that you believe in Jesus. The proclaimers, everybody around them knows, and they generally struggle to have close friends, but they're good-hearted. They want, with the well-intentioned message of Jesus Christ, they want people to follow Jesus. They know that the earth is going to end They know that there's a judgment coming. And in all of their life, anytime they see somebody in the face, they only see, are you ready for the judgment? Are you ready for the judgment? And that's kind of how they've been motivated and they move. And their urgent focus is to help people surrender from their sins so that they can come face-to-face with the cross and be ready for the final judgment. And that is a phenomenal desire is for you to love people so much that they're prepared to see Jesus face-to-face someday. Demonstrators are people that have come out of that because they felt like it was incomplete. They were like, wait a minute, you're going to tell me that I need my sins forgiven, but you're going to leave me in my poverty? You're going to come and share food with me one day and tell me about Jesus, but then you're going to go back to your suburban home and leave me on the streets of a city? Like, there's been a group of people that are now responding to the, just the verbal proclamation of sin and forgiveness, but yet there's a, a, a like, like, doesn't God care about my life? Doesn't God care about who I am? And so the demonstrators have this desire to switch things from like the eschatological thinking, like this are you prepared for judgment to ethics? Like Christian ethics. Let's talk about Christian ethics. Let's talk about the things that we should be doing or not be doing. And these demonstrators have a, an idea of how to fix, how to get the heart of God into politics and fight oppression and injustice and all of this. But I want to say to you guys today that I believe there is a better way. There is a fourth option, so to speak, according to all of this that we've been talking about. Because we need to get to the point where we understand the full story so that we're not get, we don't get stuck in Mount Horeb moments. If we understand the full story, we're going to realize that I can't just pitch my tent in comfort. I need to continue to move forward until I see Jesus face to face. Because I have a relationship with Jesus and I know I'm going to see him face to face. But because I'm an Advent person, an in-between person, I have something to do until Jesus comes back. And, and the story goes from creation, to fall, to struggle, to redemption, to restoration, to return. And we've got to get to the point where we know how to talk through that story and that narrative to say to people, we are between the redemption and the return. We're in that restorative period of time where there's stuff that we need to do, and we can't just find a nice mountain to pitch our tent near and stay comfortably by it. This better fourth way is friendship. Can I just tell you this, that if somebody doesn't know Jesus, the best way for them to come to know Jesus is to be a friend of somebody that knows Jesus, somebody that they can actually talk to about Jesus, that can talk to them about the sin, the the, the, the things that displease God, the, the activities of our heart that need to be rewired or remade new, because the, 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 the cross is important. Good Friday is a necessary part of the story that leads to a joyous resurrection story that, is, that, that, that happened and we have a, an alive and eternal Savior. But yet we can't not tell them the good news, but yet then invite them to become like Christ in the world today. The children of Israel, and this, I put this on a slide for you, We're fixated on a life around Mount Oreb, but God wanted them to be a light to the nations, listen to this, boldly showcasing his character to the rest of the world. Boldly showcasing the character of God to the world. That's what we've been called to. That was a commission given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the the God that wanted the nation of Israel to be a light to all nations. And then there's very similar language in the gospel, the way Jesus starts to speak to the Jewish audience and the way he demonstrated it to the Gentile audience, that we get all the way to Jerusalem when we find out that Jesus wants the light of God to go into those extremely dark places. But how this could not happen. They could not showcase the character of God to the rest of the world unless they broke camp. This word breaking camp in the NIV translation actually comes from the similar words that are used in other parts of the Old Testament to describe Israel's response to repentance. It's the same word. And so the, the translators of the old language that translated the NIV that we use today were getting to the heart of Israel, breaking and going to some other direction. But it wasn't just a physical act of let's pack up our tents and move. There is a spiritual tone to the word that is now decided that they're using for breaking camp and advancing, and it has to do with repentance. And to repent in the Old Testament understanding, which I think is very relevant to us, is to turn your perspective and to change your philosophy and mindset. Let that rest on you just for a minute. Because there are many of us in this room that believe that we know the definition of friendship. Is today a Sunday where we just need to take friendship out for a minute, look at our definition, look at the example of Jesus Christ, look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, look at the testimony of the church and say, is my definition of friendship the same as Jesus' definition of friendship? Is the way I act as a friend the way that Jesus would act as a friend? And I want you to know that there's a lot of questions that come out of this that I don't think we'll have time to begin to see fully. Um, I just jumped in my notes. Um, But there are times that we don't have a chance to see fully what God um, has in store. So there's, there's teachings that Jesus gave. On us bearing each other's burdens, um, weeping with those that weep, and rejoicing with those that rejoice, that we can't take time today and do a detailed sermon on, but they just need to be called out. Because I know that in your growth communities, there's going to be a tension around, well, how much is too much and when is there enough? And how do I protect myself and how do I protect others and, and how do we deal with difficult people? And I can tell you guys this, the Lord will lead you. He will help you. We're not meant to do it alone. You, there can't be one person in your group assigned to the difficult person in your group. That is too much of a burden to bear. Right? We've got to have a way that we say to one another, what does spiritual friendship look amongst us? The plurality of it. The things that we must be doing together. Too many of us are living in the comforts of our life, in the formula of our day, that we are always looking for somebody else that has the time to do it. Or, oh, you're a better age range to do it. Or you're in a better economic situation to do it. Or your education will allow you to do it. And we're always looking to help other people rather than to say, I want to come with you on this journey and we want to be a friend to this person because their burdens are heavy and and it's uh, it's difficult to be with them. So in order for us to move forward, I think we need to turn our eyes to to what God has put you here for. What are you going to put your one and only life on display in the world for? What, so here, Or put it this way on the slide. Turn and see that God wants to put, you, put your one and only life on display so that you might invite others into the greatest story of good news. So how do we check that our heart is lined up with God's heartbeat? Let me just give you a couple of quick things. First is we must intentionally live. I put this as a part of our notes last week, and I'm putting it a part of the notes this week, because unless you and I think about it, it's not going to happen. Unless we look at our calendar and say, how do I look like Christ this week, we are not going to excel or move forward as quickly from the mountain of our comfort towards people we have to then look at our resources and our finances, and are we too much in debt to even want to help other people? Do I need to take steps to free myself from debt so I have more margin to care for other people? Are there places in location where you, where you are just like, okay, what, what is God has me living here, Lord, why? Some of you might be like, "I don't want to live in this building anymore. I don't want to live on this block anymore. I don't want to live here anymore." And my my, answer, my my quick question to you is: Maybe God will let you move away from it when you complete your work there. What is it that God wants you to do where you are? You don't always need to think, "Well, well, what's like, you know, Well, in." You know, if I ever could live there, I'd be more effective. Like, let's be effective and be intentional with the gifts that God's given us, the money God's given us, the time that God gives us, and the location that God gives us. And then the second point is when you have been intentional about your time, when you get to that point on your calendar, truly show up. Don't go into it reluctantly, like, all right, Andrew, you're on my schedule right now. And I know you're a burden um so let's get to it i think you need to do this this and this and this and i'll see you next week right i mean we can't do that we can't the other when we when that does not speak of friendship that doesn't speak of love that doesn't show those kind of things we need to uh, truly show up when we're there and what that might mean you might need to sit in the car for five minutes and say god i am not fully present Because I'm about ready to go talk to Andrew, but I'm still thinking about my conversation with Phil. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to miss out on my opportunity with Andrew because I'm not fully present. I mean, we've got to get to the point where we're praying throughout the day. Because if not, we might go from one thing to another and be like, whoa. And and everybody in our life that day was like, "Uh, I don't think you were here. And I, I know that. I know that I've done that to people. And that's part of the reason why I just feel so drawn to us as a church to say, let's, let's continue to learn to excel at being fully present. The third thing is we need to open our eyes to others around us. And this is why I love the story of the Good Samaritan. I love the other stories that Jesus talked about with people that were doing spontaneously generous things is because we have become very comfortable in our culture of going from A to B, when I, and I'm just going to say this, kind of like with our cell phones to our ears. And I lived in New York City long enough to know that the majority of people walking the sidewalks from one building to the next aren't really on their phones. It's their way of keeping you from engaging with them. So they just throw it up to their ear and they act like they're having a conversation and they're going along their way because they don't want to have to see anybody. I don't have to hear anybody. That's why people bury their heads on subway cars. We bury their heads on buses. We bury our heads in public. Or if we are in public, we put our back to where we can only see certain things and not other things. Is because we're just wired and designed to say, where's Mount Horeb? Where's my safe place? I don't want to see. If I see, then I have to be a steward of what I've seen. And we need to be a people that look. And then the fourth and the most difficult, probably the hardest... And the thing that's probably going to want to make all of you look for a different church next Sunday to celebrate Easter, I'm just going to call it out, is that we must risk. We risk. If you are not risking anything, it's not a friendship. C.S. Lewis says this, and I love this quote. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart certainly will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Right? Because generally they don't live very long or they only like you when you have a treat, right? Being a friend, can I just call it out point blank? Being a friend is a call to pain. It is a call to pain. That's why a lot of us have very few to none. And we have strong acquaintances, but we don't have strong friendships. And it's easy for us to have business meetings than to have friendship meetings because it decreases the level of pain that we're going to potentially have to endure. Friendship is a call to vulnerability, to take up the pain of others, bearing it with them and for them by the virtue and the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. That's what friendship is. It's voluntary. Voluntary. Because when you send me on your behalf to your friend, you're the paid professional coming to see me. Oh, Andrew sent, or Laura sent me to go talk to you, Andrew, because I'm the paid Christian professional. And so you are now going to get the paid Christian friendship. When in all actuality, the Lord wants the two of you to talk to each other and to work through through his divine spirit's power to do something incredible. What does our Lord Jesus mean when he says, bear one another's burdens? I think it's important that we keep that ahead of us. But here's the thing. Many of the things in risk, in the risk management side, are the parts that we really don't want to hear. It's deeper than most of us really want to go. But the point of this series is for us to say, well, let me just wade in a little bit deeper and see what God can do. Some of you have been hurt because you've chosen poorly. Some of you are engaged in trust with people that have broken that trust. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to break your trust. And like I said last week, this, doesn't, this isn't a blanket servant over all relationships. There are evil people in the world. And some of you have met them, and that is not the that should not be the hindrance for you becoming friends with other people because you bumped up against evil, and we that's that's a totally different teaching. We'll talk about it on Friday at Good Friday gathering. But in John 15 verse 13, what we talked about last week, there's no greater love than this, and that someone lay his life down for his friends. Here's a quote from Wesley Hill from his book Spiritual Friendship. If Jesus is the ultimate author and exemplar of friendship, then we can't fail to remember that his own practice of friendship ended with him strung up on an instrument of imperial torture, made helplessly vulnerable and racked with grief. Friendship for him wasn't an escape route from self-sacrifice. It was the other way around. Self-sacrifice was precisely the way he enacted a life of friendship. A monk from the in the the 1100s, wrote this. I'm not going to even try to say his name. It's up there for you. He says this, The right kind of friendship between us should begin in Christ, be maintained according to Christ, and have its end and value referred to Christ. That's why we have the table. When you and I, and and I've watched, I enjoy watching us take the Lord's Supper together. There's been days where I've watched some of you go and gently touch somebody else and guide them to the table. and then the, But generally, when you guys walk away from the table, you're not like, Oh, this is so terrible. It's so terrible. Jesus died. Usually when you guys walk away, you're smiling. You're hugging each other there's some kind of joy, like, hey, we did it in rhythm, you know, like, like we all said Christ died, Christ has risen, Christ has come again together and nobody was out of sync and, and you walk away and you're smiling and you're filled of life. But this table was Jesus being humiliated, his body being shattered, his blood being poured out so that you and I could get together around it and have joy. friendship produces joy loving somebody to the fullest extent is painful but the benefits are beyond our wildest imagination as we close today i just want to remind you of the closing points last week because i want it to be redundant we need to acknowledge out loud in the mirror or to our friends that we need friendship. It needs to be spoken. It is an unspoken expectation that we many times bring into a relationship and we never really say it out loud that Chris, you're my friend. We just we need to admit that we have a need and a desire for friendship. We also must practice We even, some of you are spiritually mature enough that you can look at the people in the row around you that you know and say, do you guys have time today at three o'clock? I would like for us to go and practice the sermon that we were just taught. Like, can we just get together and just have an hour of practice and just see how friendship works out in this regard? I think that many of us in here, we need a fresh taste so that we can build some momentum. Because as some of you catch a fresh taste, it's not too long before you're passing it along. It's sort of like me meeting somebody new to Baltimore, and I'm like, have you been to vacaros I mean, it's almost instantaneous when we start talking about food. I'm like, hey, have you had vacaros desserts from their wedding cookies to their gelato? You can't go wrong. You just need to go, right? Why can't we be that excited about friendship? Have you, have you been in... Have you had a... Are you, are you a friend with somebody from the gallery church? Those people know friendship. They know life. Like You get around them, and and things are broken. And it should be bitter, but it's sweet. It's like, how could this cup become so sweet? Because of the great display of friendship. So we also, the fourth thing we talked about last week was being intentional. I mentioned that. And then the fifth thing and the hardest thing in relationships is to be rooted. which is kind of opposite of the Mount Hebron story. So I don't want you to be confused. You can get rooted in a comfortable lifestyle that has you disconnected from people. The point is is that we have to be connected in the purpose of God with people. We don't just need to be connected and rooted in a place. We need to be rooted in the purposes of God with these people. That way, if we lose buildings by fire or not paying the rent or leases end, that no matter where we go, we're together. We're rooted together. We're following Jesus together. There's nothing hindering us being together with Christ. So our response today is this. I'm asking us, myself included, to turn and face what our Father in Heaven has for us, and that is friendship. Let's pray.